It's always a little bit nerve-wracking when we say the pastor has an announcement to make, isn't it? What's it going to be? That's why we don't make very many announcements. Hey, uh, as we continue today in our Bad Coffee Mug series, in case you weren't with us last weekend, uh, we set this up by saying that we've all heard some phrases that, that sounded good, they seem like they ought to be right, phrases like this one, God helps those who help themselves. How many of you heard that phrase before? Sure, we, most of us have heard that, and it seems right. God helps us when we help ourselves. Why wouldn't that be true? And so we hear that, and we kind of think, well, who could argue with that? Or how about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Have we all heard that? Well, as a a father of a six-year-old boy, I can tell you that if that is true, we are far from godliness at the Krause house. Uh, How many of you guys remember Pigpen from Peanuts? That's Josiah, man. He gets out of the bath and there's instantly just dirt and dust around him. You know, maybe you've seen a phrase like one of these on a bumper sticker or on a t-shirt or maybe even on the mug that you drank your coffee out of this morning. But we need to be careful with the words that we take in and with the words that we believe because these things have a way of shaping our thinking. They have a way of shaping the way that we view the world. They have a way of shaping the way that we view others. And they have a way of shaping our view even of God. So here's the thing. As disciples of Jesus... We have to look to Scripture and allow its truth to form and shape our lives. That's where we look. We look to Scripture for truth, not the little sayings that we might see here or there or on a coffee mug, but Scripture, God's Word. And if you wonder why we hold God's Word so high around here, I would encourage you to go back, if you weren't a part of this with us, to uh, the series that we just wrapped up a few weeks ago called Eat the Scroll. That series was all about the Word of God. It was all about how to study it, why we study it, and, uh, and maybe good for you to go back and to review that. But this morning, we're going to take a look at this mug right here. Uh, as Steve pointed out, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. And, and that seems like it ought to be true because we talk all the time around here about the fact that God loves us, he cares for us, and if he loves us, then why wouldn't he want us to be happy? And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I don't completely disagree with this. I don't. But what I think we need to consider is what's often behind the thought that God wants me to be happy. And it's really the idea uh, that I know best what it is that would make me happy. It's the thought that I get to define for myself what happiness is, and then I can pursue whatever that is and assume that God is going to bless it because he wants me to be happy. But maybe to put this into a little bit of perspective for you, uh, I was listening to the radio a couple of weeks ago, and there was a father speaking about a, uh, a situation he had with his toddler-aged son. They were in the backyard. They were enjoying a, a bright, sunny day, and the father got distracted for just a, just a moment. And uh, in that time, his toddler-aged son found a slug. And this toddler uh, did what all toddlers do. They put things in their mouth, don't they? And so uh, it's absolutely disgusting. But the, the toddler grabbed that slug, and he popped it into his mouth like it was a chicken nugget. And uh, the father saw what was going on just as the hand was going to the mouth. And he very quickly responded. And he got his finger in there and did the sweep motion and got that slug out of there. But you know what happened next? The toddler protested. The toddler threw an absolute fit because he wanted that slug. That slug was delicious to him. And he was convinced it was going to make him happy. But his father had denied him the absolute joy of sucking on that slug. 
You know, uh, you and I realize that sucking on slugs doesn't actually lead to happiness, don't we? It's actually pretty disgusting, and there's not a, a parent in the room here today that would see their kid doing that and allow it to go on. And with an example like that, it's easy to see why the father would say no. It's easy to see why he would deny his son. But what about when our Heavenly Father says no to something that's actually desirable to us? What about when it's something that you really want and it doesn't happen? Or or the other side of that, what if it's something bad that you don't want at all and yet you find yourself in the midst of that very difficult situation? If your theology is God just wants me to be happy, then what do you do when the bottom drops out and suffering comes? Because Jesus made it very clear in John 16 that suffering will come. We highlighted this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And when that trouble comes, you better have a bigger context than God wants me to be happy. Because when trouble comes, you're going to have some questions. And some of you are asking those questions right now. Why? Why God? Why me? Why this? Why now? I thought you loved me. I thought you wanted me to be happy. And this is not leading toward happiness. And so this morning, I want to give you a context for suffering that is greater than God just wants me to be happy. Because when things go suddenly wrong, doesn't it seem that we all have a tendency to turn our attention toward God? But the context through which you view your pain and your suffering will determine whether that God-focused attention is positive and hope-filled or negative and hopeless. So let's start with this. C.S. Lewis uh, has a fairly famous quote where he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And all of us, through different expressions of pain and suffering, have experienced the shout of God, haven't we? Maybe for you it's been the loss of a job, and the bills continue to come, and there's no money to pay them. And so now what? Maybe it's played out for you in seeing your kids go a different way than you had hoped that they would go. And now what? Maybe you've experienced an illness or an injury and it's taken away some of the freedoms that you used to enjoy in life. Maybe it's even just robbed life of joy completely. And so what now? Or maybe you've had to walk through the loss of someone you love dearly or the wreckage of a broken relationship and all of the realities that come with that. Pain and suffering come in a lot of different forms, but with it almost always comes the question, why? Because we have this natural desire to make sense out of our pain. If there's a bigger purpose, if somehow this is leading toward something good, then maybe I can endure it. And let me illustrate what I mean by that. To some extent, we've all endured a certain amount of elected pain. Now, elected pain is pain that we choose. Uh, It's pain that we know is coming, but we say yes to it because there's something on the other side of the pain that we desire. We desire the end result that the pain will bring. So let me ask a question this morning. How many of you here have a tattoo? Who's got a tattoo? Uh, Some of you aren't raising your hand right now, and you're lying. Uh, I don't want to know where it is or uh, the crazy story that goes with it, but you've got one. And, and uh, most people don't know this, but Steve Wallen's entire back is tattooed uh, with an eagle clutching a shotgun. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
But there's pain associated with having ink injected into your skin, isn't there? You knew that going into the process, and yet you did it anyway. You endured that pain for the end result of giving your mom the greatest Mother's Day gift (laughs) ever. I mean, what mom wouldn't think that was fantastic? Let me ask this. How many of you have ever given blood? Have any blood donors in the room? Sure. Bethany and I have given blood and... Uh, Fun fact about my wife, she passes out every single time she gives blood, every time. And she tells them every time, hey, I'm going to pass out. You need to be ready for it. And every time they say the same thing, no, you're not going to pass out. We're going to take good care of you. You're going to be fine. And then 10 minutes into it, like clockwork, she's gone. You know what? I don't like the way that that needle feels going into my arm. I don't like the way that my head feels. I'll, you know, I get lightheaded when I give blood. I kind of like the cookies at the end. Uh, but there's certainly some pain that's associated with giving blood. But we choose that pain because there's a greater purpose and there's a greater good. And so we endure the pain because there's a bigger context for it. All right, one more. How many of you here today were born? You were born of a woman. Some of you are not raising your hand, and I'd like to hear more about that. Uh, But childbirth isn't painless, is it? We know this, and yet people continue to have babies. Why? Well, because apparently some women believe that the pain of childbirth is worth the end result of having children. And so, to a certain extent, we have all experienced elected pain. We've said there's a a good at the end of this pain that makes it all worth it. And because of the context, I can endure. Because of the context, I can push through. So it shouldn't be a surprise that when the legs get kicked out from underneath us and suffering comes, that our first response is why. We try to make sense out of it. We try to find a purpose for the pain. Because if we can connect the dots and we can find some greater context for the pain, then maybe we can endure And you know what? That's the exact same response that we see in Jesus as he hung on the cross. Jesus, who knew before the creation of the world that he would die an absolutely horrible death for the sins of humanity. Jesus, who predicted his own death as he walked on this earth multiple times in the Gospels. As he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And you know, he he knew why. He knew why. But in his humanity and in the middle of unspeakable pain and suffering, he cried out to his father and he asked the same thing that we ask. Why? I need context because right now all I'm experiencing is loss and pain and abandonment. And some of you are in that exact same place this morning. And you are desperate for someone to connect the dots and to make sense out of it for you. But the problem is this, and and here's where the bad coffee mug comes in. The problem is that we would look heavenward and we would ask, God, why? But then we would move our gaze just to right here, just to to our own small lives. And we begin searching ourselves for the answers. Where where did I go wrong? Was this my fault? You know, could I have done something differently? I, I shouldn't have done this, or I should have done that, or I should have been a better parent, or a better spouse, or a better friend. And the temptation will always be there to examine the pain and the suffering that you experience just within the, the, the small space of your life. And I'm not saying that our choices don't have consequences, because they do. They absolutely do. 
But I'm also saying that there's something bigger going on here that we have no control over at all. Folks, I need you to know, if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, this right here is not a biblical reality. It's not. God's greatest desire is not that you would be happy. His greatest desire is that you would be faithful and obedient even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain, that, that he would find us trusting him and knowing that he uses everything for our good, even when it doesn't make us feel happy in the moment. And we're going to see this morning that there is a greater context for our pain and our suffering than this right here. And it's found in Romans chapter 8. I want to invite you, if you brought your Bible, to, to turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. And this is on page 787 of those Bibles. Uh, as you turn there, I want you to know a few things about this passage before we read it. First, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, this outline and this context is actually one that I heard uh, from a pastor that I respect very much. His name is Andy Stanley. We've shown some of his messages here at Genesis before, and I heard him speak on this passage several years ago, and as I was studying for this message, I realized I really can't say it any better than he did. Uh, but the truth is as relevant for our church today as it was for me back then. So credit where credit is due, and uh, thank you to Andy. Second, the answer that we're going to see today in Romans chapter 8 uh, it's not a quick fix to solve all of your problems, okay? It's, it's not. It's not even going to do anything to make the pain go away necessarily. And, and you say, well, then what good is it? Well, it's like the elected pain that we just talked about. It doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't numb anything. It gives you a context. It gives you a bigger picture that helps you endure. And the last thing that you need to know before we read is this. As we look at Romans 8 this morning, these verses and these truths, they were written to Christians. Okay, These promises are for followers of Jesus. And if you are with us this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you would come and, and be a part of this with us this morning. I want you to keep coming. I want you to keep studying Jesus. I want you to keep asking questions. But I also want you to understand that the context that we are about to see only makes sense through the lens of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen, I've been a pastor long enough now that I have walked with multiple people through pain and through suffering, uh, through death, who had no relationship with Jesus at all. They had no idea that there was a God who loved them and who cared for them. And I want you to know, I have absolutely no idea how you do that. I have no clue how you walk through some of the things that life throws at you without the knowledge of a God who cares about you. And if that's you, it's my prayer that as we look at these verses this morning, that your heart would be open to the God who loves you and who cares about you. And the very God who you may be angry at or running from this morning because of the pain that you've experienced in your life, he is the same God who has given us the context for all of life's pain and suffering. And it's a context that helps us endure. God has connected three big dots for us in Romans chapter 8 that have eternal significance. And I want to tell you what those three dots are. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write these down. It's in the beginning, in the meantime, and in the end. If you will view your pain through the lens of relationship with Jesus Christ and within this context, in the beginning, in the meantime, and in the end, I believe there is a hope and there is a purpose and there is strength to endure. So let's read together in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 18. And this is Paul who's writing this. And Paul says, 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And notice that right from the start, Paul begins by pulling our eyes up. He's pulling us out of the present, out of our current trouble, and he begins turning our focus to the end. And he says, I know that there's suffering now. I know there's pain now. I see it. I'm enduring it too. I'm experiencing the same. He's not denying this pain that we may be in, but he says the present sufferings, whatever they are, they're not worth comparing to what's to come. And he says in verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And again, he's pointing towards something in the future, isn't he? There's something that we're waiting for. There's something that's coming and we're, we're waiting for it with eager expectation that the children of God are going to be revealed. Now, in verse 20, Paul's going to take us all the way back to the beginning and he's going to start filling in some blanks for us. Here's what he says. He says, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now, what's he talking about? Well, here's the first big dot of the bigger context. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we can read the creation account. We can read about God creating man and woman. We can read about his relationship with them, the work that he had given them to do. And in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, everything is as God intended it to be. But then we move just one more chapter ahead to Genesis chapter 3, and everything goes south. Sin enters the picture. And death follows. And you can read in Genesis 3 God's verdict on sin. And it's a list of curses that were put on all of creation because of that original sin. And the creation, Paul says, has been subjected to frustration ever since sin entered the picture. That word frustration, it can mean uh, depravity or it can mean perversion. It means that things are not the way that God intended them to be. Because sin has perverted what God intended. Now look at the end of verse 20 and into 21. It says, in hope. It was, it was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This verse says that, or, that original sin, it put us in bondage to decay. Now what does that mean? Well, some of you, when you wake up in the morning, your back hurts. My back hurts when I wake up in the morning. I've got to do some, some weird-looking stretches on the floor to get everything back in line and moving again. Do you know why that is? You say, well, maybe you need a new mattress. Well, that might be true. I think I've actually got a pretty good mattress. But no, it, it's more than that. It's because we are in bondage to decay. As I was getting ready this morning to, to come here and to teach, I had to take these little round discs and I had to stick them in my eyeballs so I'd be able to see what was going on. And some of you are wearing some apparatuses on your face just to be able to read along with me this morning. Do you know why that is? It's because you're in bondage to decay. I'm in bondage to decay. You and I, we are decaying. And, and, and why, why, did, why did that happen? Why are we in this bondage to decay? We look at this life and we try to put the pieces together. And, and is it because I did this? Or is it because I did that? No, it's because we're in bondage to decay. You and I are decaying. The whole world is decaying because in the beginning, sin entered. And when sin entered, the world was broken and everything began to decay. Everything. Things are not the way that they were meant to be. 
But reading on in Romans 8, verse 22, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, what's Paul doing here? He's, he's beginning to bring us into the meantime. What does this mean for right now? What does it mean for you and me? He says the whole creation is groaning. Listen, whatever that, that pain and that suffering is that you identified earlier, whatever it is that maybe you've gone through, I want you to know it, it's not just that something in your world broke. The whole world is broken. Okay, It's not just something in your marriage that broke. The whole world is broken. It's not just something in your kids that broke. The whole world is broken. And the pain and the suffering that you and I experience in this life is just one example of a much bigger thing that is going on. Because in the beginning, sin entered and the world was broken and decay began. And the world has been groaning ever since. And you may say, you know, but that may be true, but I'm a Christian. You know, I'm following after God. I'm living as good as I can. I don't have to be a part of that anymore, right? Well, look at verse 23. Paul says, not only so. Okay, so so not only is creation groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, that even those of us who have been given the Spirit of God, and by the way, who is that? Who is that? Well, it's, it's Christians, isn't it? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, he has put his Spirit inside of you. You have the first fruits of his Spirit. His spirit. And Paul says, even we, even we who have those first fruits, we groan inwardly. Being a person who God loves and who loves God in return, does not make you exempt from the trouble and the suffering of this world. I know that that is a very different message than what you might hear on Christian TV from some pastors, but that is not a biblical reality. The biblical reality is that sin entered and the world was broken and that in the meantime, we experience the decay of this world. Romans eight twenty four says this, for in this hope, we were saved. So there there is hope. There is hope in the midst of the decay that we experience. What is it? He says, in this hope, and he's pointing back to verse 23. It's the hope of our future adoption, the hope of the future redemption of our bodies, that in the beginning when sin entered and the world was broken, it, it set us up to suffer. It set us up to struggle. The world began decaying. But in the end, these bodies of ours that are experiencing this decay, they're going to be redeemed. They're going to be made new. They're going to be made perfect. And our adoption will be complete. That is the hope in which we are saved. He says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Because who hopes for what they already have? So it hasn't happened yet. It's in the future, but it's coming. And verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently, and that means that our take as followers of Jesus on all of life's pain and suffering and trouble is that we face forward to the end when suffering will be no more. It means that we don't put our focus 
in the beginning where sin entered and death reigned and the world was broken. We don't get consumed in the meantime as we experience the the effect of decay on this world and in our lives, but we face forward, hoping and waiting on the redemption of our bodies and the completion of our adoption as sons and daughters of God. And we don't lose hope because now we understand why things are the way that they are. And it doesn't take away the pain, but it gives us a context that we can work from. But here's the thing, and this is, this is the great part. We weren't only given a context and, a, and then a pat on the back and, well, good luck with that. No. In the meantime, we also have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, giving us hope even as we experience decay. Look at verse 26. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you know what it means that the Spirit of God intercedes for you? That literally means that the Spirit of God is praying to Father God on your behalf. Listen, God understands that sometimes this life is so difficult and sometimes the pain is so overwhelming that there are no words to express what you're feeling. And in those moments, the Spirit of God steps in and he intercedes for you with groans that words cannot express. Because in the beginning, sin entered and decay began. But in the meantime, if you are a follower of Jesus, God is in you. His spirit is praying for you when you don't have the words to pray. How amazing is that? I mean, what an awesome gift. Do you understand how incredible that is that God would understand the depth of our pain and give us his spirit to pray for us when we can't? Now, Paul's about to turn a corner here in Romans chapter 8, and he's going to move our focus from in the meantime to in the end. Look at verse 28. Here's what he says. He says, And we know, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, Paul has walked with the Lord long enough to know that in all things he works. And remember, this is the same Paul who experienced great suffering. This is the same Paul who endured beatings, who endured being stoned, who endured being arrested and and thrown into a dungeon. He endured being put on a slave ship and that ship capsized at sea and he floated out in the open sea for a time. He eventually ended up on a, a desert island and he was bitten by a poisonous snake and ultimately, after all of this other suffering, he was martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says, you know what? In all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And it may not seem like it right now. It may not feel like it right now. But you can know that in all things, God is working for your good if you are one who loves God. And you can know that if you are a lover of God, that yes, you were born into a broken world and there are going to be struggles. But in your weakness, you can know that God is living in you. His spirit is praying for you. And he is working all things for your good. And he has given you a context that will help you endure. You know, it's the knowledge that this is headed towards something better than you can imagine. I want to jump down to verse 31 
where it says this. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? But if you were being honest this morning, there are some of you here who would say, it doesn't feel like God is for me. The things I've endured in my life, the things that I've experienced, it feels like God is against me. And, and maybe you've asked that question, you know, if God loves me, then why this? If he, if he loves me, then why didn't he just end my pain and my suffering? Does he even care? And verse 32 is the real proof of this whole passage. If you've ever questioned God's love for you in the midst of pain, verse 32 is given to you to answer the question once and for all, God, do you love me? Look at what it says. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It says, he who did not spare his own son, it was his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who stepped out of heaven, lived as a man, and died on a cross, though he had done nothing wrong. And in doing that, he took on the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that he literally became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And verse 32 says he did it for us. He did it for you. That's why he did it. So that in the future, we could experience the redemption of these broken bodies. That we could experience the adoption as the sons and daughters of God. Does God know what it's like to suffer? Does he know what it's like to lose everything? Can God relate to you in your pain? How could he not? He gave his one and only son for us. Does God love you? More than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. And I know that it's so easy to lose sight of that. I know that the decay around us is so distracting and the pain can be absolutely debilitating. And sometimes we just need a reminder. We need a reminder that this is going towards something good, that something better is coming. So let me remind you this morning that the Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. And he will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more tears, no more pain. It's coming. But that's in the end. But even now, even in the meantime, if you're a follower of Jesus, God is with you. He has put his spirit inside of you. His spirit is praying for you. And God is working all things for your good if you are a lover of God. So the question I want to ask you this morning and the question I want to end with is this. Do you love him? Do you love God? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, don't go one more day without the hope that he has offered. Don't spend one more minute resisting God's love. Let him give you a reason today to boldly face forward to the end. You can do that today and we'd love to talk to you more about what a relationship with Christ looks like. We'd love to talk to you after the service today. But there are some of you here this morning who have already accepted Christ, but in the midst of the decay, you know, it's just, it's distracted you and you need a reminder. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes and to bow your heads with me this morning. And I want to pray over you. I want to read the rest of this passage over you. So with your eyes closed and your heads bowed and your hearts fixed on Jesus, Listen to these words. Paul says, In all things, 
in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the hope that we've been offered. Not temporary happiness, but eternal joy. And we face forward to the day when that joy will be ours completely. Father, help us in this. Because without a doubt, there are people in this room today who are experiencing deep loss, deep suffering, deep pain. And they're asking you the question, why? And Father, I thank you for speaking clearly through your word today. Not that it takes away any of the pain, but that it gives us a greater context and it helps us to endure. Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Find us faithful and obedient, even in the midst of life's suffering and pain, and eagerly awaiting the redemption of our bodies and the completion of our adoption as your sons and your daughters. And we thank you, Father, that in the meantime, you are with us. You've given us your spirit. He is in us. He is praying for us as you work all things for the good of those who love you. Thank you for Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.